This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Amen and amen. We're living in a time right now in society. We, the church, are are in a time where there's a lot that's happening around us. And we can't forget that God has called us to be messengers of hope. That we're to be light in the midst of darkness. The problem is, is we look around and there's so much pain and there's so much suffering and there's so much that's happening that we can, we can become desensitized to the empathy that we should have of the pain that's happening around. You see, God's called the church to go into the pain and into the brokenness of what we see. There's pain and there's brokenness all around and we don't run from it. We don't just talk about it, but God wants you and I to be light that helps transform it. That the pain that we see and the suffering that's happening, God has called you and I not to be like the culture, but to begin to love the culture in a way that changes the culture. We are, are like that thermostat that can change the climate. We are not just a thermometer that measures the temperature and sees what's happening, but you and I are to be culture changers and cultivators of a, tro- a culture that will change and transform society around us. We've got to engage this culture. We've got to learn to love it. We've got to see the pain of it and we've got to begin to move into it and understand that that is our mission. The reality is there's lots of questions. Questions of what's happening when things around us are taking place. Things that are transforming and, 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 and circumstances that are happening. We can look at it and we can get cynical to it and about it. And as Christians, if we're not careful, we can get caught up in the walls of our church and we can talk about what should be done. We should talk about what we hope God will do. We could even even be, you know, hoping that governments and other things will make that change and never do what God's called us to do. What does he want us to do? Is he wants us to be the light in the midst of darkness. He wants his glory to be shining within us and flowing from us that it changes things that are around us. That's what God is calling for you and I, that we are people of the word and we're in the word and the word that is life and brings life will flow through us and bring life to that that's around us. The problem is, is for many, they're hiding the light. For many, the glory isn't flowing from them, the glory of God. If we're honest, there's apathy. If we're honest, there's complacency. If we're honest, we're we're not stepping into the pain of the world that's around us. And I think what we're seeing is a result that the church has not been the church. That believers have not lived like Christ followers. Oh, they're Christian by title, but in lifestyle, they're unbelievers. They say they follow, and yet they're still in bondage and addictions and in fear, and they're still oppressed. And because of that, their light is not shining and bringing transformation to the world around them. 
And I'm here to tell you today, God wants something different. I'm here to tell you today that there is just a little bit of a change that needs to be made. But if we will make the change, we will see change. We don't have to accept what the enemy is doing. We don't have to accept the evil and the wickedness and the injustice. We don't have to, uh, to accept the, the, the lawlessness that's happening around us. We can change culture. But we must be messengers of hope. Look what Jesus says in Luke chapter four. Luke chapter four, verse 18, the spirit of the Lord. Now, this is what the Lord is saying. The spirit of the Lord, Christ is saying, is on me. Can I pause there and say, make sure that when you go out Monday through Saturday, that you've got the spirit of God on you, that you've got the anointing of the Holy Spirit filling you, that you've abided in Christ and that you know that you're in a right relationship with Christ, that God's hand is on you and the anointing is upon you. Can I get an agreement? The spirit of the Lord is on me. Why? Because he anointed me. Anointed means I've been set apart and you've been set apart. You may not know it, but you are anointed. There is an anointing that must come from you. And that's the problem in the church, by the way, is that we don't realize that we've been anointed and appointed. And therefore, because we've not embraced the anointing and the appointment of God, we allow ourselves to be apathetic. Complacent, we don't move into our mission. But Jesus said, he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. By the way, what do we call good news around here? The message of hope, that's right. We call the good news, the message of salvation, the message of hope. It's not just to those that are financially poor, but those who are spiritually poor, those who do not have an understanding of who God is and what Christ has done to bring them freedom. But Jesus says, I'm here to proclaim this message, this good news, this message of hope to the poor. Man, if you and I would begin just to say, God, use me. Let me be your mouthpiece. It may not be preaching like pastor does on a pulpit. It just may be sharing my story, sharing my pain, sharing how you stepped into my pain, sharing how you brought my life back together, how you restored my marriage and my home and my children that had gone away. You brought them back. I'm here to proclaim the good news. When you proclaim it, it brings life. He says, here I am to proclaim it. He, God, sent Christ. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoner. Now, we're not talking about someone behind bars. No, no, no. We're talking about people who are prisoners in their sin. Prisoners to their anxiety. Prisoners to their worry and their fear and their shame and their guilt and their condemnation. They're prisoners to the bondage of the enemy because they've known no better and they've allowed themselves to be cuffed by the enemy and now their life is destroyed. Jesus said you and I can proclaim freedom to the prisoners. That we can, we can, we can bring recovery of sight to the blind. The blind is that they're spiritually blinded. Paul says, the God of this world, which is the enemy of your soul, he blinds us. He blinds us to the message of salvation, to the message of freedom. He blinds us to the good news, the message of hope. But God has called you and I. He's anointed you. He's appointed you. He's setting you apart. He's setting us as a church apart 
Just by fact that you're in this church, you're stepping into an apostolic anointing and an apostolic calling just because you're here and you can't step back in your apathy or in your complacency and think that you're going to be comfortable like that. No, 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 no. God has sent me to urge you, to kick you, to to spur you, to challenge you, to get you moving out of that apathy and out of complacency into what God has called you to do. He said, open their eyes, sight to the blind. And by the way, I've learned that spiritual blindness is not just for for unbelievers. Yes, they are spiritually blind to the good news, but I've also learned that God brings us from revelation to revelation to revelation, from glory to glory to glory. He takes us to deeper mysteries of his word and his nature and his character and his ways. He brings us into that kind of revelation if we're longing for it and seeking it. So he wants to bring sight to your blindness. Revelation to your spirit. Man, I love it when God brings new revelation. Don't you? Don't you love it when God opens his word and he brings a revelation? Maybe it's a a written word, the Logos word, that which is on the pages of God's book. He takes that which we've read many, many times and all of a sudden, in my moment, in my spiritual situation of where I'm at right now, he will take a verse or a scripture or a passage or a story and he'll bring it off that page and he'll put something into my spirit that gives me a sword to begin to fight the enemy in my battle right now. That's called a rhema word for the battle that I'm in right now. I love it when he does that that all of a sudden where I'm feeling defeated where I feel like the enemy's winning I get into the word and the word brings a life to me and it's like I picked up the sword of the spirit and I'm ready to fight this I'm ready to fight the demonic spirit that's attacking and I'm telling you there is demonic spirits attacking The enemy's trying to oppress the enemy's trying to discourage the enemy's trying to get you to doubt him but man he says I've come to give you sight, to set the oppressed free. Now, what do you mean the oppressed? Well, as I just said, the enemy does everything he can to oppress you. If you're having dreams that are tormenting you, if you're having visions of snakes and, and dreams of dark figures and, and feelings of, 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 the, of a supernatural realm that's dark, let me tell you, that's oppression. You may not be possessed, but I can tell you the enemy will definitely do everything he can to oppress you, to come against you, to knock at you, to get you discouraged, to get you in fear, to get you to doubt God, to get you to walk away from God, to begin to get you to a place of wondering, is this real? Is this true? Does this really matter? Does does God really do it? Man, the enemy does everything he can to oppress you. But Jesus said, I've come to set the oppressed free. If you're having dreams and nightmares, I'm telling you, you need to get in an encounter. You need to get around spiritual leaders. You need to get into these altars and you just gotta begin to pray. Admit, admit that there is an attack. There is an attack and you got a real enemy just like there's a real hell. There's a real enemy called Satan and the enemy is out to kill, steal and destroy. But we've got the power of Jesus and Jesus said, I've come to set the oppressed free. And to proclaim the year 
of the Lord's favor. See, what did Jesus say is, Jesus said, my mission, and you and I as disciples have embraced that same mission when we become Christ followers. It's not just me as a pastor, but as believers, when you come to Christ, you embrace his mission. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. You're following Christ. And Christ's mission was to go to the pain of our world, to step into the pain and into the brokenness and into the hurt and to begin to go into that and to begin to join him to put it back together so that he would bring hope and healing, that he would bring that that deliverance to the oppressed, that your light would shine. In fact, Jesus said it this way over in Matthew. Matthew chapter five, he says, you are what? The light of the world. Now, what does that mean, pastor? Well, what that means is the glory of God in you, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, When you give your life to Christ, Christ comes and resides in you. And when that happens, you don't just get forgiveness of sin. You get that. That's called the atonement. But you get more than that. You get the glory of God in you, a clay vessel. And that glory must shine. The presence of God, the, the, the manifest glory of God. There it begins to be something that's shining from you. What shines from you? The character of Christ, the fruit of Christ, the nature of Christ, the ways of God. It begins to shine like a light shining from you. Joy and peace. You begin to walk with it. You begin to have patience. God is shining in you. You are the light of the world. You're a town, you're a light that's shining, that's built on a hill, and it cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, no. Instead, they put it on its stand, and they let it light up and shine so that all can see. Everyone in the house can see. He says, that's what happens. And in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and do what? glorify your father in heaven. Why are they gonna glorify God? It's because they, say it louder. They see what? Your good deeds. How do they see your faith? In your good deeds. How does it bring glory to God? Because they, I didn't hear you. Your what? Your good deeds. And, and that's your light shining. What's shining? your good deeds. Now here's the problem. Here's the problem is that the church is not shining. The church is not shining. Oh, pastor, you're you're pretty hard today. (laughs) Don't go on vacation no more. (laughs) No, 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 no. Listen, listen. The church has missed its purpose. The church doesn't see the pain around it. The church is not activated what, the, what God has called it to. Its purpose, its mission, and its gifts are, are dormant in the church. And they look around at a world and, oh, can you believe that? Oh, here we go again. Like this week, I mean, the pain of, of this week, the shootings in the market and the school, an 18-year-old boy 
in Texas that gets his hands on two AR-15 rifles, shoots his grandmother, heads on to an elementary school to shoot 19 children and two teachers, and we shake our head, and we make posts on the internet, and we stand against that stuff. And I believe what's got to happen is you and I, yes, we can do that, but we gotta do more than that. We've gotta let the light begin to shine. We've got to begin to say, God, let us step into the brokenness of this society. And God, let us look in and let us move in and let us see what's going on. Yes, the emotions are running and we feel like we keep turning and turning around and around over and over. And we get angry and we get upset and we're devastated by what's happening. And over and over we're asking questions. Who's at fault? Why the violence? Why isn't the government doing something? Let's change political offices to get somebody else in so that there'll be a change. We've got to control guns. And all of that may be true or it may not be true. But can I tell you, that's not, in my opinion, what will bring the lasting change. Yes, it will bring change, and yes, we can influence change, but when you and I are the light, when we let the light shine, when we don't look at how do we leave the church, calling it deconstructing our faith because the church is ineffective or, or, or the church is broken, instead of looking at what the church isn't doing, we should begin to construct our faith and we should begin to be the church that is the light, that shines the glory of God, that begins to be a light for others to see. So how does the church respond? How do we respond and it's gotta be more than just putting up some picture or, or making a few statements. It's gotta be more than just saying and by words that this is what we're against or this is what we're for. I think there's more that God wants you and I to do. Why? It's because there's people that are hurting all around us and God has uniquely anointed you. You and I are anointed and it's anointing for a purpose. Look here what Paul says in Romans. Romans chapter 10 and verse 14, Paul is writing to the church, believers in Rome. And he says, how then can they call on the one that they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? He goes on to say, and how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who what bring the good news. What do we call the good news around here? I didn't hear you. The message of hope. How beautiful. When you run after the pain, when you step into the pain, how beautiful. Yes, the church may be broken. Yes, the church may in, 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 in some ways be ineffective. Yes, there might be hypocrisy. Yes, there might be unloving and uncaring, and uncaring individuals within the church. But you and I have got to realize that when we go with a message of hope and with the light, when we begin to preach it and we are sent on a mission as messengers of hope, preaching the good news, it begins to transform our society around us. Are we imperfect? Yes. Do we have our weaknesses? Yes. Do we, do we have those moments where we wonder, God, what are you doing and why is something not happening? And yet God is saying, I want you to begin to be my vessel. I want you to be a vessel of honor, my messenger of hope. And I want you to share the good news. So in the next few moments, our time is slipping away. 
But in the next few moments, I want to really just take a few minutes and help us to say and answer this question. How do we respond to the crisis around us? I can really say it in one word. And if you, if you uh, don't remember anything about this whole message today, I hope you hold on to this one word. And that is, how do you and I respond effectively? The one word is compassion. Say compassion. We respond with compassion. If compassion begins to rise up in you and I, if we begin to move with compassion, we will move towards pain. We will feel empathy. We will sense what God wants us to do and we will be the people of God that God can use. I shared a moment ago and I'm convinced of it. The challenge in the church is that many are not moving in their purpose. Many are are, are stifling their gifts. Many in the church, their ministry is stagnant. They come, they watch, they receive, they leave, and it doesn't go beyond that. They see that their life is faithful to God, but what they forget is faithfulness is not just in praying to God, it's being used by God, and we serve God by serving one another in the body of Christ. And therefore, they're ineffective. They've not activated their purpose. They've not activated their ministry. They've not activated their gifts. And they've believed maybe the lie of the enemy, and that is that you can't be used. Your, your past is so broken that, that what you've done disqualifies you, or that they don't need you, or you're too busy, or there'll be another time that you can serve him. And they accept these excuses of the enemy that the enemy gives, the lies become excuses for them and their, their gifts are frozen and they're not being used of the Lord. I believe that as we as a church will activate, say it with me, activate, activate, say it again, activate. If we will activate our purpose, if we will activate our gifts, if we will unfreeze our gifts and we will begin to say, God, let my gifts and let my purpose move me into the mission that will bring healing and hope to a society around. If you will activate what God has given to you, Christianity is not for spectators. If we will roll up our sleeves and join him in mission and activate his gifts, it will bring a change that's around us. But instead, we look at shootings that take place and injustice and, and, and all the circumstances of evil that's around us. And, and we sit back and, and we say, why? And, and what can be done? And this should be done. But we don't move into the pain and the brokenness that's around us. Nothing will change. You see, this is what I know. Is if you will activate your gifts, you will move into ministries like children's ministry. If you move into children's ministry or youth ministry, or if you move into a ministry for couples, can I tell you what starts happening? Is all of a sudden, young people and marriages, husbands and wives, young couples are beginning to get biblical teaching. They're beginning to learn the ways of God. They learn how to worship God. They learn how to follow God. They see a godly example in you. Some of you, Paul says, I keep giving you the milk of the word, the milk of the word, the milk of the word, because you're not ready for the meat. What's the meat? Is you roll up your sleeves and you get out there and you start working and then you really get hungry. 
And Paul says, no, you got to roll up your sleeves and you got to activate. See, this is what I know. If we will activate our gifts, we'll be in kids ministry, youth ministry, couples ministry. We'll be with the men and the women. We'll be going into the schools where there are, are, are children that come from unbelieving families, that are coming from fatherless families, that are coming from broken families. But we, as the messengers of hope with the glory of God, will step into that pain and we will minister because we're activating our gift and our purpose. And the moment we begin to do it, it begins to transform a society around us I wonder this young 18 year old boy I wonder I don't know all the details I, you, you probably know more than me but I wonder what his growing up years was like I wonder if he had a praying grandmother a godly mother a godly father I wonder if he ever went to church I wonder if there was anybody that ever told him about God and the ways of God and what was righteous in the eyes of God, I wonder if anybody ever told him that. Or did he just grow up playing video games, learning how to shoot in a video screen, and one day the fantasy became reality? I don't know. I'm not coming against all that because some of our kids do it, but it doesn't mean it's right because they do it and we let them do it. But did the fantasy turn into a reality because he had no godly influence? You see, the reality that I'm asking is today, God, would you activate us to step into the pain of the brokenness that's around? This is what I know is if you're pouring into the life of a child or into a young person, if you're helping build couples and their marriages, God is being glorified in that home and God begins to do a work in that family. It begins to transform that family. If you and I, the size of our church, would step into the pain and the brokenness that's all around us, I guarantee if we will activate the gifts that are frozen and the purpose of God that's not been activated within us, it will bring a change to society. Can I hear an amen? Look here what Jesus said in Matthew 9. Jesus says, or the scripture says about Jesus, that Jesus went through all, he went through all. I mean, he went everywhere. Messengers of hope, take a message of hope, what? Everywhere we go to everyone we meet. Why? We have a good news message. We can't keep it to ourselves. And Jesus went all through the towns and villages. He was teaching in their synagogues. Now, most churches stop right there. They don't read no more. They teach in the synagogue. They teach in the church, and that's as far as it goes. But if we're going to bring a change in society around us, we are messengers of hope that's got to take a message of hope. Say it again. Everywhere. Say it louder. Everywhere we go to everyone we meet, teaching, yes, in the synagogue, but more than that, proclaiming the good news. What's the good news? The message of hope of the kingdom of God and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had what? Compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless. You know what that really means? If I were to break that word down for you, 
in the original, it was the harassed and helpless was, they had no meaning. People around them had no purpose. They had no significance at all in life. They were weary. Does it sound familiar? They were losing heart. They lacked courage. They were struggling. They felt like they were gonna collapse. And can I tell you, that's the world that's around us. And Jesus, it says, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, we are his disciples today, so he'd be saying it to us. The harvest is plentiful. There's, there's much, there's a lot, there's pain everywhere. If you will have compassion, you will move and, and you will be moved inwardly and you will move to those that are hopeless and hurting and weary and helpless and lost courage. You will move to them. Why? Because they're like sheep without a shepherd. They don't know where to go. It's not their fault. The enemy of the world has blinded them, but he's called you and set you apart to move with compassion with a message of hope that's transformational. Problem is, is we the church just want to get fed. So we're sheep that just wants to be fed and we've missed our purpose. We've not activated our purpose and we're not moving in our gifts because our gifts are frozen and hidden or we're too busy or whatever excuses the enemy has convinced us to accept and we don't move into the harvest. But Jesus is saying, have compassion. Why? They are harassed and helpless, wandering, hopeless, no significance in life, no courage, sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the messengers of hope are few. Oh, you wear my t-shirt. You say the prayer. And good pastor, you're getting, a little, you're getting a little strong with me. But Jesus said, listen, the workers are few. What is Jesus saying is we've got to step into the pain. What is Jesus saying is we've got to show empathy and compassion. Why? They're harassed and they're helpless. They have no shepherd because they don't even understand what that means. And there's so many that are lost and dying. There's so much brokenness and pain around me. But there aren't enough workers. What are the workers? Messengers of hope. I need you, Jesus would say, to be a messenger of my good news. Therefore asked the Lord of the harvest to send out messengers of hope into his harvest field. See, people need Jesus as their shepherd. And the Lord is saying, I want to send the workers out. I want those that will go with compassion. They'll, 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 they'll weep over the loss. They'll cry over the loss. They'll be broken over the heart, the heart of what God sees. Then they see what God sees and they hear what God hears and they feel what God feels, that they're broken by that. 
There would be a remnant of people that begin to rise up, a remnant, a gathering, you and I that begin to rise up, a generation that says we're gonna reap the harvest in this generation. No longer are young people gonna leave our church. No longer are senior adults gonna feel left out. No, 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 we're gonna see what God sees and we're gonna be moved with compassion. So how do we respond? In the final moments, I know that in your outline there are four points, but I'm gonna give them to you in a few moments. The worship team will come back for me. How do we respond to crisis? Well, first of all, we've got to learn to vent, say vent, our emotions in prayer. problem is we vent our emotions on social media. Let's be honest. We vent it with our friends around us. We, we vent what we're feeling on those that are near us. We easily bleed on people who never cut us. We try to blame others who really aren't even a part of it. Why? There's emotions. But here, we vent. How do we handle the crisis around us as we vent our emotions in prayer? We, we, we can tell God how we feel. You can unload all of your feelings. Can I tell you that he can understand what you're going through and he can handle your emotions. He can handle what you're venting to him. In fact, if you will vent first to God, can I tell you when you vent to God, it'll help you to handle what's happening around you and you won't vent to everybody else because you've already vented it to God. Our emotions of anger when we see the evil. Our emotions of grief when we go through pain and suffering and loss. Our emotions of shock and, and disbelief or anxiety or fear. Whatever the emotion is, if we will vent it to God, first of all, it'll begin to flush through us and God will begin to give us a better perspective of how he sees things and what he's going to do. We vent to the Lord in prayer. A second thought that I leave with you today. The second thought, well, before I jump to that, let me share you a couple of scriptures. By the way, in Psalms, in the book of Psalms, over and over again, the psalmist vented to the Lord. Look here, Psalms 10 verse one, why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble. You see, the psalmist is saying, God, where are you? We've asked that a few times, haven't we, in the last several years? Where are you, God? This injustice, this prejudice, this evil, this lawlessness, where are you? Where are you when, when things are happening in, 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 in society around us? Where are you? Man, the best place the psalmist shows us is the vent to the Lord. Look at Psalms 142, verse one. I cried aloud to the Lord. I cried to the Lord. I vented to the Lord. I lifted up my voice to the Lord for what? Mercy. I poured out. My emotions were poured out before him in my what? My complaints. God can handle your complaints. 
And I would say today, take them first to the Lord. Before you shoot that email back, take it to the Lord. I've kind of learned that when I'm a little emotional in an email, I, I, I sit on it for a day or two. It happened a couple weeks ago. Something happened. It's nothing in our church, something I do outside of our church. And I was upset. I was really upset. Really upset. Our team doesn't even see me get upset this often. And I was upset. I saw, I called our superintendent and I said, do you believe this is happening? Do you believe they did this? Do you believe they disrespected us like this? And I, bloom, 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 bloom. I went on and on and on. And he says, you're right, you're right, you're right. And I said, I'm sending you an email. I'm gonna send to them. You tell me what you think. I sent it to him. He never responded. <laughs> he just sat on it. He sat on it. And after a week, I was like, what do you think I should do? <laughs> he said, well... And I was venting. And I just said, Lord, what, what do you want? How do I handle it? What do you desire? Now, that was a small thing. We in society are facing so much more that's bigger. Racism, prejudice, injustice, wickedness and evil, wars. So much that's happening around us. We've got to cry out to God. Psalmist said, I cried aloud, aloud to the Lord and I, and I lifted my voice out and I poured out before him my complaints and I told him all of my troubles. Look here, Psalm 55, verse 22. Cast your cares, your anxieties, all your emotions can be cast on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will lift you up. When you're angry, vent your rage to the Lord. When you're worried, vent your fears to Father God in heaven. I mean, when, when, when we learn to pray about our pain, the Lord God will help you and I as we're praying about our pain that's around us. He'll begin to give us hope for that pain and he'll encourage us. The second thing I'd say to you, the second thing is that we've got to humbly, humbly, confess and repent of our sins. You see, when there's evil and wickedness and things that are happening around us, it gives you and I an opportunity to pause and to reflect and say, God, are there any, anything within me, personal or corporately, anything, God, that I need to repent of? Am I being hypocritical? Am, 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 am I doing something, God, that, that I shouldn't be? Or, or should I be doing something that I've not been doing? Help me, oh God. A couple years ago, I think it was three years ago, Pastor Candy and I, uh, we took a trip to Northern Europe. And uh, we had a beautiful uh, time together, her and I. It was a couple weeks. We took a cruise Along the northern coast of Europe, we had, gotten, uh, we had gotten free flyer miles and all of this. I don't have to justify the, what we did, but, you know, it was, it was a cheap trip, and we loved it. It was great. That's the best good trips, right, that are cheap, and we loved it. And we went into St. Petersburg, and I'd never been to St. Petersburg, and it's a beautiful city. And we were driving around in an Uber, <laughs> They have an Uber in St. Petersburg. That was prejudicial to say that right there, but they, they had an Uber there. And we were driving, and, and as we were driving around, the Uber driver and, and, and myself were talking. 
His English, his English was a little broken, but we could carry on a conversation. We were talking about our kids. He had kids that were about the same age as all three of our kids. He had three boys. I, I think he had three boys. I, no, he had three girls and I had three boys. His oldest was married and my oldest was married. So we were kind of talking about our middle and our youngest. Yeah, you know, and thinking, okay, maybe something, you know. And we were talking and, and uh, you know, and, 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 you know, he was talking about, you know, his oldest was married. My oldest was married. His oldest had grandbabies. My, I didn't have any grandbabies yet. Still don't have grandbabies, but we were talking and, and it was just a great conversation. And then all of a sudden I thought to myself, this guy's pretty nice. And then I caught myself and I said to myself, why did you think that? Why did you think this guy's nice? Why would you think he's not nice? And then I realized something within me. See, in my generation, I, I, was, I was raised on Rocky. Some of you don't even know what that movie was, Rocky. But America against Russia. You know, Russia was always this dark enemy. The, the, the evil power of Russia, we had to fight away. I went, to, I went to Budapest, Hungary as a missionary. It was a former communistic controlled country by Russia heard stories of pastors that were in prison for their faith. The gospel couldn't be preached for 54 years. No translation of the Bible because of communism from Russia. And I had these presuppositions in my mind. And I'm driving in the taxi and I realize he's a nice guy. And I felt it. I caught it that there was a prejudice there. I repented. I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I, I didn't have to say anything to the guy. He didn't know. But in me, I knew. And I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I, 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 help me, Lord. And I realized that sometimes we all have prejudices. It's not as simple as black or white. That's what society is telling us right now. It goes far beyond that. We can have prejudices of countries. We can have prejudices of different economic groups. We can have prejudices of where someone goes to college or doesn't go to college, of their career or their career, that they do this and they do that. We can have all of these things depending on our backgrounds, our upbringings, the movies that we watch, the things that we've experienced. All of that can impact our prejudices. And we've got to search our hearts. And say, God, if I'm going to step into the brokenness and into the pain of the society around me, then I've got to be the light. I've got to learn to let your light shine. Look at these next few scriptures for me. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17. And I know my time has slipped away, but let me wrap this up. And Isaiah, by the way, Isaiah, Pastor Nadine, you'll like this. Isaiah, you know what he's dealing with here? You'll like this. You, 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 can, you can preach an evangelistic sermon on this one. This is good. You know what Isaiah was dealing with? Was a people, his people, the people of Israel, that were coming to the house of God and God was charging them. He was saying to them, your worship is empty. Your worship is phony. It's not authentic. You come, I, God was saying, and Isaiah was the prophet speaking, and you come, but your hearts are not being yielded to me. 
He was saying you're apathetic. He was saying your worship has become a ritual. Man, I think we're on the brink of that in America. You know what I think the problem is, is we have a lot of people that say they're a Christian. I think I said it earlier. But they're really not living like a Christian. And so God said, listen, through Isaiah, he says, here's, here's how I will pardon you and bless you. You want my blessings? You want my favor on you? He was saying to Israel, then this is what you do. You learn to do right. Meaning you're not doing right. Seek justice. You're not living just, righteously. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. Repent. Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is anything offensive within me and lead me to the way of everlasting. You know what everlasting? The way of everlasting is the way of righteousness. Help me walk a path of righteousness. When you walk that path, God says that you will receive the everlasting, eternity with him, glory with him. Matthew chapter seven, verse three says this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank, the, the two by four in your own eye? You know what he's saying here is examine yourself. How can you say to your brother, now he's gonna get into being judgmental and deceived. You say to your brother, you say to someone else, take that out of your eye, quit doing that. And it's something very, very little. When you've got this big thing in your life that you're not willing to deal with. You point out something small and yet there's something big within you. He says, whew, Jesus was hard. You... I can't even say it. You, say it for me. You, who, Pastor Kevin, you could say it, but I can't. Whew. What's a hypocrite? You're, you're pretending. You're play acting. You're acting one way and doing something else. Take out first that plank, that, that big thing in your eye, your eye, in your, in your life. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So we repent. We, we, we give it an opportunity to say, God, forgive me. Thirdly, thirdly, what do you and, and I do? Is thirdly, we have to take action over our apathy. We've got to move against our apathy. We've got to make sure that we're not just saying things in word and deed. That's what John says, but with action and truth. First John 3:18 says it this way. He says, "Dear children, that's he's talking to the believers, the church, let us not love with words or speech only, but with actions and in truth." How do we overcome evil? We overcome evil with good. Romans 12:21 says, "How do we overcome evil? We overcome evil with good, with our compassion." And lastly, I would say to us number 4, is that we have to present 
the message of hope. We got to point people to the hope of Christ. It's the message of hope. It's the hope that will set them free. It's the, it's the, it's the cause of Christ that, that we would share with everybody the light that's within you and within me. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.